morning. This morning, as we open the Word of God together, this is part two of um, two messages that have been on my heart to share with our church about the nature of humanity and uh, a biblical understanding of what it means to be created in the image of God. If you were not able to be with us last week, it's available online, and I would encourage you to go back and read. It's part one. It builds a lot on what we're going to expand on today, and so it may help you to go back and listen to it. We made the point last week that to be created in the image of God is the unique privilege of humanity. On the sixth day, God conferred together and said, let us make man in our own image, in the likeness of God, let us make him male and female, he created them. So I'm going to take a moment to review what I think it means when we read in the Bible what it means to be created in the image of God. We said two things. One, that in our essence, to be uh, to understand the fact that man is created in the image of God means that man is like God and represents God more than any animal can. Human beings created in the image of God were made in order to be like Him in some measure and to represent Him in the world. We described five different aspects in which this essence of being in God's image is manifested in functional display. We have a morality. We, we have a moral aspect about us. We are creatures who are morally accountable to God for our actions and our thoughts. We have an inner sense of right and wrong that your chimp or your monkey or, or your cat do not have. In the same way that humans have, we have a spiritual capacity in that we possess a soul and a spirit, and we can relate to God and pray to God, and we can worship Him, and we have immortality. We're going to live eternally. There are mental components about what it means to be created in the image of God. We can think abstractly. We can reason we can use abstract language, and we can think of the future and the distant future. There is eternity placed by God in our souls that we know there is something beyond this life. We have been created with creativity, just as God is creative, and we have emotions. We have relational capacity beyond that which your pets have. We have the capacity within us to have deep, meaningful relationships with other humans and with God Himself. We experience marriage, many of us. We have physical attributes that mirror God, even though God is spirit, incorporeal, does not have a body, but He sees, He hears, He speaks, He listens, and he has a strong right arm, the Bible says. So these things about God, which are true in humans, we are made to be like him and to represent him in the world. In summary, Genesis 126 
said that God made a plan to create human beings similar to himself. Similar, but not identical. Simply put, we are the image bearers of God in the world. And the ways in which we reflect God in his image is going to get unfolded from the first page in your Bible, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, the image of God is going to be unfolded throughout the rest of the Bible. It's not completely known what the image of God here as you read Genesis 1.26, but it's going to unfold. But what we can say is both male and female are included in this image. Both are intrinsically worthy of respect and, and worth because of who they are created in the image of God, the plurality of male and female. Humans cannot be so without understanding that the divine image for mankind was a male and a female created in his image in the ways that we've just described. Lastly, by way of introduction, it's important to know that God did not create us for any deficit within himself that he needed to fulfill by so creating us. Yet he did create us out of love for his glory. We are important to God now and for all of eternity because he created us, especially distinct from all other creatures, in his own image. So you might actually ask yourself, what is the significance of your life? What is the meaning of life for you? One of the things that I want you to consider and perhaps put as a banner over your life is that when you understand that He created you in love for His own glory, this is the most supremely satisfying grounding for meaning in your life. Let me say it again. The understanding that God created you, you, in love for His own glory, and then living with that in mind is the most satisfying grounding for meaning in your life. Otherwise, you will attempt to find meaning elsewhere in something less and transitory and fleeting. And God is God. And when you know He created you for His own glory, there is the possibility that your life will have meaning greater than anything else. Isaiah 43, 6 said, these whom I have created for my glory and whom I have made, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. We'll come back to this theme, but I hope that you'll consider that. Now, there's a problem with the image of God because all of these, even though they are true of what it means to be created in the image of God, something happened in chapter 3 of Genesis that corrupts all of this display of the image of God. The question I want to try to answer is, what impact of sin 
is there to the image of God, and what does God do to restore that image? So next, in our notes, the image of God is still present after the fall. There are two verses in the Bible that describe that even though Adam and Eve rebelled against God and sinned against Him, and thereby we're told in 1 Corinthians that sin entered all of the world, all of their descendants, all of us are created as sinful human beings, but the image of God is still present. And in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, there is this command after the fall where God says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man his blood shall be shed. Why? For God made man in his image. After the fall, this commandment that you do not murder someone because that someone has been created in the image of God. So the reason that you don't murder is not merely that it's bad for that recipient. The primary reason is that individual is in God's image, made by God, and so your murder is first and foremost an offense against God who created him in his image. Understand that? Move to the New Testament. And there is a very similar kind of um, prohibition, different category of sin. But in James chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, um, no human being can tame the tongue. You could say amen maybe to that. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. James is describing our speech. With our tongues, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. In the verse that follows, it says, these things ought not to be so. It's making the reality that we can come to church and praise the Lord and drive home and curse the driver who cuts you off. And these things ought not to be so. But why would you not curse or damn someone, a human being? To do so would be an offense to them. But first and foremost, it's an offense to God who created that person in His image. So when you understand that every human being is created in the likeness of God, you know it would be bad to murder someone and it would be bad to even curse them because they belong to God and they are worth dignity, respect, because they are human beings created in the image of God. So what we know is after the fall, the image of God remains vital grounding for dignity, respect, and worth for all human beings. But where we have to go next then, well, what is the impact of sin on the image of God? And maybe we just put this back up there, how sin impacts the image of God. And it, it won't take long to understand that when you begin to think about these categories, if we are moral beings, but we're all sinners, what we know is that our moral purity as humans is gone. And we all sin and stumble in many ways. Sinful character doesn't reflect God's 
holiness, his moral purity. What we know is that the Bible tells us morally that all have sinned and fallen short of the God the glory of God. We've all turned away from Him. We are all sinners. There's none righteous, no, not one. All we like sheep have gone astray. You with me? We're all sinners. So even though we're in the image of God, our moral character as Adam and Eve were created in the garden before they sinned against God is marred. We're all sinners. Secondly, we think about our our, um, our mental and spiritual capacities, our intellect is distorted by the falsehoods and lies that are all around us. We have misunderstanding. The Bible describes that we're blinded to understand the truth of God and that we're darkened in our own understanding and intellectually, although we are, have great capacity to discover and invent and create the human mind and the human heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And the God of this world is blinding the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the glorious light of the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God. Interesting statement from uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Um, not only that, all of our relationships, you know, why do you have troubles in your marriage? Why do you have trouble getting along with other people? Why, why are relationships, if we are truly a relational, have relational capacity of loving as God created humans to have, why do we have such relational conflict? Answer? We're sinners. That's why. We're not, we're made to be like God, but we aren't God. We don't have that. It's our, our ability to have relational, selfless love for one another is jeopardized. Every aspect, our speech no longer glorifies Him. We experience physical decay, disease, decline. Um, our bodies physically are not what God intended them to be. Everybody say, yeah, they, they, you know, we, we get that. Our bodies are not. Why? Ultimately, the cause that we die is sin. So what impact does sin have on what it means to be human? All of these things, every aspect of human life in some part is distorted. The image of God is marred. We still have the image of God, as we saw in those two verses, Genesis 9-6, James 3. But the image of God is distorted. And perhaps one way to summarize what sin is and how it impacts us is that the essence of sin is essentially saying to God, I got this. I, I, I will be autonomous. I will express my own independence from God. Sin, in its essence, is a declaration of autonomy from God and His moral law and all His character and all that He has said. As we mentioned last week, it is essentially saying to God, I am my own. I belong to me. I will define myself as I am. In its essence, sin simply says, I will be my own God. And then it shows up in all these little ways, not consciously we don't say that, but anytime we step outside of what God intended us to be, we are falling short of His intention for us. 
So sin impacts every part of our humanity. We are not as bad as we could be, but we're all bad thoroughly. That is, we all fall short of the glory of God. Which then leads to the question, what will be the answer and remedy for this? And this is where when you understand image, you now turn to the Scriptures. So God created us in His image. We rebel and sin and we're, we're still in His image, but we're distorted in what He intended us to be. But God, because He created us in love for His own glory, took the next step, and that was to redeem that which was distorted. And the way in which He did that was by sending His own Son. God sends Christ into the world, and Christ is the exact image of God. And the language used in the Bible about Jesus coming into the world does contain the same kind of language of image of God. So in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, we read, He, this is a reference to Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. This is a passage in which the glory of Jesus Christ as the second person of the Trinity and the perfect Son of God who always existed came into the world. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the most prominent one of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers and authorities, all things were created through Him. And here it is again, if you circle it in your Bible, they were created for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. The answer for the broken image of God in humans was God sent His Son, who is the image of God, the exact representation of God. Verse 18 of Colossians 1. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might have, it might be preeminent. For in Him, verse 19, circle, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether in earth and heaven, making peace through the blood of His cross. Okay, I can tell some of you are traveling away from me. Come back for a second. When God saw the broken image in humanity, He sent the perfect Son of God, who is the image of God. In Him, the fullness of God dwelled. He was the perfect God-man, and He came to accomplish, verse 20, which is to reconcile broken humanity to holy God through the blood of His cross. The great message of the Bible is that man was gloriously created to be like God and represent Him, but we fell into sin. We, we now deliberately sin, but God wasn't done because He created us in love for us and for His glory that He sent His Son who would come into the world, the very image of God, go to the cross to die there for us, and then to reconcile us to Himself. And as we'll see, restore the image of God that was marred by sin. This is the glory of the good news that 
God sends Christ into the world to do this. Now, what those two last verses show is that when Christ came into the world, He came into the world as the perfect human without any diminishment of the reflection of the image of God that we now experience because of sin. He always demonstrated perfect fellowship with the Father. He always exercised complete obedience to God His Father. He was always selfless in His love to others. And He always fulfilled the purpose that God had in His life. When you think about Jesus as described in these passages, what we know is that He was perfectly human as God intended Him to be. You with me on that? Have you ever used the excuse for yourself when you blow it that I'm only human? I get it. But when God created humanity, He created humanity out of love that they would represent Him and be like Him in the world. But now we think of humanity as being fully frail and sinful. But Christ came to show what humanity was to be. Obedient to the Father. Always in fellowship with the Father. Always selfless in loving others. And always fulfilling the purpose of His Father. What do you think He wants for us? He wants these things for us. And He knows that if we will grow in our ability to live according to the image of God in us, it is the greatest grounding for life and meaning and purpose and happiness. So why would you give yourself to sex as the greatest fulfillment or money or any number of other things that are transitory and they don't last? Being created in the image of God and understanding that He made us in love for the purpose of glorifying Him is the grounding for meaning in our life. He sent Christ into the world. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says, He's the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus is the exact imprint of the Father. Now, if anyone is in Christ, He is a, a new creature. The point of Jesus coming into the world is that we would see Him as the perfect one, the one who sacrificed for us, embrace Him as a Savior, and we would become born again. And then does that fix everything about our sinful nature? No, not fully. But it's where it begins. And the way in which God redeems the broken image of God in humans is by trusting in the perfect Son of God, Jesus Christ, and being in Him and receiving the forgiveness of sins that He offers and then being um, belonging to Him and being restored. A restoration that is, progress is at once instant and also progressive. So that Paul could say in Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, you have received Christ, you have been born again, 
Let's read the last phrase together. Which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. There it is. When you become a Christian and you receive Christ, you experience the reconciliation of knowing, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior, He's my Savior, I embrace Him. Then you belong to Him, and what, what happens is you have put off the old and you have put on the new, which is, in a sense, progressively becoming renewed in the likeness of the image of the Creator. This is Paul's statement of the image being restored that was marred by sin that comes when we, we come to know Christ. This would be a key verse to our understanding how is the image of God sort of restored. It's restored in the perfect one, Christ, who is the image of God. We embrace Him, and then our, the image is progressively being restored. Uh, so um, He's transforming us. Let me give you another verse that should be in your repertoire. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. That is not a trite verse. That is a profoundly meaningful verse that God is working all things together for good. What is the good that God is working together for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose? It's verse 29. Verse 29 says, For those whom He foreknew, He predestined, next phrase, to be conformed to the image of His Son. To be conformed to His image, to His likeness. Because when God created humans, He created them that they would be like Him and represent Him. But sin has ruined that. So you can't find a lot of likeness to God in much of our lives without Him. And then Christ forgives us. And what is the work that God does in the hearts of people who love Him? He's conforming them to His image through grace and faith and truth, and we are being conformed into the image of Christ. Colossians 3, 9 and 10. Romans 8, 28 and 29 should be in your frame of reference when you think about how is God transforming the image of God. And one more. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. As you gaze upon the Lord, as you walk with the Lord, as you meditate on the Lord, what is happening spiritually? I am being transformed from one level of glory or likeness to Jesus to another. I am growing. He is transforming my life. I have been a Christian for... 50 years. I'm different than I was when I was 18, but I'm not there yet. But I know God is transforming my life. And the, the part of the transformation is to let the image and likeness of God be more like Jesus so that He can be seen in us. That's the transformation in the image of God. Let me see if I can help. We were created to experience God and to express what He's like. As humans, we want freedom and autonomy. We just want to do our own thing. We want to do our own thing 
instead of perhaps living the way we were designed. So these are illustrations that have been given, and they're helpful. You think about a fish and a fish being in the water and saying, I wish I could be totally free, free from the constraints of this water. Can I just get out of the water and be free? How's that going to work? It won't work. Why? Because it, its created design was to live flourishing in water, eating smaller things, and avoiding being eaten by bigger things. But its life is in the water. That's how it was designed. Or a train on a track. Thomas the train. If I could just get off this track and see what else is out there. It won't work. Why? It's design. The human design is created in the image of God, understanding that I am loved by God. My greatest purpose is to glorify God. And my greatest meaning in life will be as I live in this way. But for all of life, sin confuses us. And we think, I will be more satisfied if in my freedom, I could just give myself to fill in the blank. God created us in our nature to draw life and breath and everything from Him. And when we do, we have the greatest joy and peace in all of life. When he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind, it was because that's good for you. That's how you were wired. Okay. Let me close with two, two verses. When Jesus was talking in Mark um, chapter 12 to a group of Pharisees, Mark chapter 12, verse 13 says that the Pharisees and some of the Herodians came to trap Jesus in his talk. And they came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are true and you don't care about anyone's opinion. For you're not swayed by appearances, but you truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Now, you got to understand that what's happening here is a trap. They're trying to trip Jesus up and get him crosswise with the government by asking him about whether it's not to right to pay taxes. That's not the point of this message. But you know what's in their heart. They're just trying to, to trap Jesus. His answer is profound. The next verses say, knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why do you put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought him one, a coin. And he took the coin and he said, whose likeness or inscription is on it? And they said, Caesar's. This coin has the image of Caesar. So, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, 
He is in charge of the economy. He is the ruler over the coins, the money, the taxes. His image is on that. You give that coin to Caesar. And to God, the things that are God's. Implied. What here in this audience has the image of God? You do. So give your money to the government, but give your life to God. That's the point. Why? His image is on you. He made you to be like him. He made you to represent him. He made you human so that you could have a relationship to him. Give to the government what belongs to the government, but give to God what belongs to God, what rightly has his image. Got that? How great is that? The only right answer then is to say, my life belongs to God. And what you learn is it's not limiting. It doesn't constrict freedom. It's my design as a human to be like him, to relate to him. So when I give him my life, it is the grounding for the greatest meaning of life that I belong to him and I live for him and I live for his glory. To live for something else is going to lead to something less than what living for God will do. You with me? It's really good. It's really important. It's really contemporary. It's what's happening in the world is people give themselves to anything and everything and say, my identity is up to me. And the Bible has a different meaning that your identity is in God who created you in his image. And you can receive that and live the fullest kind of life. Or you can resist it and try to find meaning and less meaningful, eternal, more transitory things. Now, because our world is so sexually confused, it's not surprising that in another place, we, we find a word that Paul's talking to people about not engaging in sexual prostitution, not, not fulfilling your sexual desires, which the Bible acknowledges they're real, but don't let them be fulfilled with a prostitute. In that verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul asked this question, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You're a Christian now. God lives in you. You are, everybody, not your own. You're not your own. I am my own. No, you're not. You're God's. He created you. He redeemed you. You belong to him. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. This is in the context of being sexually pure. You're not your own. Well, that doesn't seem fair. I want to be my own. Yeah, the world is trying to, and it's leading in chaos. 
But if I understand, like the fish in water, like the train on the track, I am a human being created in the image of God to be like him and to glorify him. And that is the grounding for the greatest meaning in life. The sooner you get there, I, I will say the happier you'll be. Let me close with this verse from Revelation. Revelation 4, Worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and they were created. We were made to be like God and to represent Him. It is a gift to be human. It is a glorious thing to be a man, a male, in the image of God. Or a female, in the image of God. That is the way God designed us to live. Sin breaks it. Jesus redeems it. And the journey from here to glory is to restore and transform it. And if I could close with this, when He appears... We shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. When we step into heaven, everything earthly will drop away. Everything that He intends us to be in redeemed humanity, without sin, without sorrow, without depression, without disease, without suffering, will be glorious humanity in the presence of God for all of eternity as He created us to experience let it come quickly, right? All right, what decision will you make today from what you've heard? What, what will you do with what you've heard? I hope the greatest thing you take away is the, the place of peace and meaning and grounding for dignity, respect, for understanding who I am as a human is to know that God created me. I have a lot of problems. I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect. I'm not God. I need Christ. I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to let Him transform my life until the day I enter into His presence. May God help us do this. Let's pray together. Father, You are worthy because You created us. You are worthy because You sent Jesus to be our Savior and Redeemer. And You're worthy because of who You are. And I pray for all of us who have to grapple in our day with conflicting messages about identity and about worth and dignity and even human sexuality. But I pray that your Holy Spirit will keep us um, sensitive to what your design for our lives have been. I pray for anyone who's here today who is um, who's struggling the sense of who am I, that you might just draw near by your Holy Spirit to assure them um, you're, you're mine. You might just whisper to them, I created you. I sent Jesus to redeem you. And I want you to follow me. Lord, I pray that you'll give us grace in, um, in the midst of all these voices to hear your voice most clearly, and to live as we were designed to live. 
um, to be like you, to depend on you, to experience your grace and forgiveness, to be transformed from one image of glory, one level of likeness to Jesus to the next. May you use what we heard today to do this, just that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.